My name is Martin Newman, and I'm the Consumer Champion. After 37 years in consumer-facing industries, believe me, I have seen it all. My goal is to play a role in providing consumers with a voice, to connect with brands that they've engaged with, and to help companies to learn from their customers where they're going right or where they're going wrong. You're joining me on Customer Centricity, the podcast. Each episode, you will find me in conversation with leading business people, discussing some of the key issues around how to empower positive change for consumers and brands. Before I introduce our guest for this episode, let me tell you a little bit more about customer service action. Just like you, I've been on the wrong end of some staggeringly bad customer service. We've all experienced it, haven't we? Whether it's the root waiter or having to wait 40 minutes in a queue. And just like you again, I've also been delighted by an amazing experience when I wasn't expecting it. But aside from telling the manager or writing a rather awkward thank you note on TripAdvisor, what can you really do when something is great or when it's not so good? My frustration has always been not knowing how to raise these issues with the brand in question in the first place, or whether in fact I'd be even wasting my time by doing so. For these reasons, I launched Customer Service Action, a platform where people can share their good and their bad customer service stories and experiences in one impartial place. My vision is that we can collectively make a difference and create the change that consumers seek and in turn help businesses too. Good customer service and good customer experience leads to successful brands. So please visit us at www.customerserviceaction.com to learn more. Thank you for listening to Customer Centricity. Now for our guest. Welcome to my Customer Centricity podcast, Ollie Banks. Martin, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to join you here. Thank you. Well, listen, you had me on your podcast, so I felt it would be rude not to reciprocate. Um, and I, I love what you do, and you know, you're, you've really made a name for yourself in the world of retail transformation. Uh, and I'm excited to kind of dig into that in a bit more detail and understand more about your background and how you kind of arrived at where you are now and what you do today and how you support businesses and just the general kind of challenges um, that you see retailers facing into. So that's probably quite a good starting point. Why don't you tell us a bit about your background and kind of how your career's uh, progressed and kind of where, you, where you've landed at and what you do today? Yeah, sure. So I've, I've got, I suppose, not a very conventional career. <laughs> so I'll start with now and we'll work backwards. So I'm a, sure. a retail transformation specialist. Um, I work with retailers to to define their ideal or target operating model and then the changes and transformations that are needed to actually bring that operating model, that ideal, to life. Um, so, yeah, working with, with a number of different retailers on all sorts of, of elements and really looking to pull out how should the business work going forward. Um, I also host a podcast called The Retail Transformation Show, which uh, we have got a fantastic episode with you martin thank you for that uh, and, and and live virtual events as well so uh retail transformation live i launched during the pandemic and again you were one of the keynote speakers uh last year so thank you once again <laughs> and you know, I, I suppose you know if we again start to rewind i was at tesco for for five years working through a number of different areas there ultimately ending up in their internal consulting function. So that exposed me to a huge amount of the business. And then prior to that, I was actually not in retail. So I was in engineering, 
designing photocopiers, yeah. believe it or not. Right, <laughs> designing, sort of actually, a, from a product development point of view. Actually, from a product development point of view, so oh, yeah. looking at all the all the mechanics and, you know, if you think about a photocopy, it's how the paper is moving through the machine and how the image gets onto the paper. So really quite technical stuff. Um, photocopiers yeah. are quite incredibly complex in as much as they've got yeah. more parts than a car. So there is a lot going on, which was actually a great, <laughs> great prep for then working, working in a retail industry where, once again, there is a huge amount going on at any given moment in time. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, work, working a bit further back, I, I sort of started off, I suppose, with a bit of a, an entrepreneurial theme. So I used to run uh, a, a mobile cocktail bar business and uh, dabbled very early on in uh, e-commerce with uh, cocktail glassware, um, barware and so on. So, yeah, that's kind of a, a bit of a... Yeah, good. So it sounds like you're... <laughs> Sounds like you're a handyman to have around, and I believe you're quite handy from a DIY perspective. Uh, and you yes. can also make a good cocktail. So what's not to like about that? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, busy, busy during the day, and uh, something nice to drink in the evening. <laughs> exactly. There you go. That sounds pretty entertaining. Um, tell me. So you kind of touched on on it, but maybe if you just want to dive into it a little bit in terms of, you know, some of those sort of earlier experiences in your career and competencies that you that you developed and how you've been able to essentially leverage those and transfer them into what you do today as a consultant working with businesses helping them to transform yeah so if, if I take the engineering side of my career um, first yeah. what was quite interesting and I didn't really realize this at the time it's only on reflection was actually it's about problem solving it's about understanding a situation, understanding what's going on, what you're trying to achieve at the same time, and then looking at what are the different solutions and options available. Uh, so yeah, very solution focused rather than uh, rather than looking to dwell on what's gone wrong, so to speak. But obviously yeah. you need to understand any given problem to really find that perfect solution. And that gave me a great grounding. So uh, I, d I did all my project management training there. Did uh, Lean Six Sigma, so green belt, black belt, uh, in that sort of manufacturing environment as well. So that has actually been, like I say, a great uh, a great entree into into what I do now, which is very very similar stuff to be honest. It's just a different topic. Right. And then I think the, the 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 cocktail side gave me again a great grounding into retail. Again, didn't realise it at the time, and it wasn't intentional. <laughs> But thinking about how do you actually serve customers, how do you create a good uh, a good vibe at a, at a at a cocktail party, for example, and then mm -hmm. uh, yeah, get, getting into some of the details of of e-commerce as well in terms of everything from how do you how do you look at a customer flow on a very early basic website compared to nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. really really good grounding. What are, what's interesting, you know, clearly a lot of very transferable skills. Um, or, or at least you've developed your career in a way that you've been able to leverage a lot of that expertise, which which makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you see, given the work that you're doing at the moment with, uh, and have done for a number of years now with some, some fairly well-known brands, what are the main barriers and issues do you think that stop retailers from successfully transforming their businesses to be what I would call, or how I define sort of 
consumer or customer centric, which I think you know is my my passion and my kind of core area. What are the things that are stopping yes. retailers from achieving that? That's a great question. Um, I think there are probably three elements. So the first first one is around clarity and actually what are we trying to do? So Omnichannel is a, a good example of this, right? Everyone says we're going to do Omnichannel. <laughs> yeah. But actually, what does that tangibly mean? What is the clarity behind mm. that? And quite often, it's just not there. I remember, well, sitting on that word Omnichannel. When I first heard it, I said, what is Omnichannel? And no one really knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were, as, I, as, I often, as I often say, you know, yeah. If you if you ask a hundred people in a hundred businesses what omnichannel means, you'll get ten thousand different answers. Yeah, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I think that clarity is is the first piece. I think yeah. uh, the, the next two are kind of linked. So delivery and overwhelm are, are two other challenges. So the overwhelm piece, there is just so much going on. Uh, often retailers, of course, have got a ton of different activities, trading activities, tactical activities, change, obviously lots of lots of people to work into, lots of different moving parts. And it yeah. can become very difficult to do all of that and think about change as well. Often the the, the, the owners of change are actually the same people that are responsible for the day-to-day -day running of a particular part of, of a retail operation rather than having a separate sort of change function. Only the very biggest organisations, in my experience, have that luxury of like an internal consultancy, yeah. like, for example, Tesco had. And I think that that can lead to overwhelm where you've got to keep the business rolling. You've got to keep the, the wheels on the bus, so to speak. But then how mm. do you actually upgrade the bus at the same time? That can be difficult. And that then evolves into that delivery challenge of it's hard to do transformation. It's hard to really change things. There are many different aspects, many different uh, elements to consider as you're thinking about it. Couple that with that overwhelm and it's, it's, it's a big challenge. So I'd say those are the three elements that yeah. are, are the biggest challenge with regard to making that transformation into, into a sure. customer-centric business. Big observations. I think, um, I mean, one thing just to layer over that, I suppose, is you know, it is it is hard to change, but it but it's also I think about changing mindsets because you know I talk to I regularly talk to boards of directors and and very often when I'm asked when I ask them the question you know what's keeping them up at night you know I get a response of well the cost to serve customers you know it's it's hitting margin and it's not sustainable and I always feel when I hear that that the business is going to be focused arguably on the wrong things because. If you're focused on how much it costs to serve someone, you're probably going to make the wrong decisions. You're probably going to take away resources. You're maybe not going to invest in the right technology. You're maybe not going to empower your people to deliver the right level of experience or service. And ultimately, it's going to be to the detriment of the, the customer and their experiences. Do you agree with that? Is that something you... Do you see that or do you feel that that's, that's valid? Uh, absolutely. It's, it's what are you focused on, right? We talk about being customer-centric and all businesses say, yeah. yes, I, I'm customer-centric. But often, are you? Are you actually yeah. customer-centric or are you actually maybe more financially-centric? And the customer yeah, exactly. is a, a nice way of achieving the finances. Now, I'm not saying which is right and which is wrong. 
that's actually I would suggest relevant for every individual business. But I think mm. saying you're customer centric and not truly being customer centric or saying it when you're actually thinking more about the finances, I think that's yeah. it can be misleading. And then from a culture perspective, let's be honest, people recognize that, right? <laughs> if, you're, yeah, if you're saying one thing and doing another, then Exactly, exactly. I think that's a really nice way of thinking of it, actually, you know, at a very holistic level. You know, are you really customer-centric or are you financially-centric? And, you know, my argument is that basically, if you're focused only on the numbers, as I say, then you focus on cost, then you make the wrong decisions. Whereas, because you're really thinking about the here and now in the short term, whereas if you're playing the long game and you're actually trying to build customer lifetime value and you recognise that there's a and in, you know, there's a, there's a much greater incentive to encourage Ollie and Martin to keep coming back over the next three years, and their value to our organisation is going to be exponentially greater than it is by just focusing on how much it costs us to bring them in in the first place. You know what we call the return on advertising spend or whatever. Mm. <clears throat> then, then I think you build a more sustainable business. And it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the challenges is that it's always been hard to, to your point there, it's actually been quite hard to define what is customer centricity? What does it actually entail end yes. to end? Because it kind of sounds obvious, but actually, you know, it's not an easy, it isn't, it isn't an easy thing to deliver. And part of it is the bits that the customer sees, but then a large part of it is the bit that you would get involved in helping, you know, which is actually, how do you transform your business? How do you create a more integrated organizational structure? How do you make sure you've got data and insight that informs you to make, you know, the right decisions around customers mm. or whatever, whatever, you know, it, uh, it actually happens to be. Absolutely. When you, I think it's important as you're thinking about the culture and how do you actually be customer centric? What are the behaviors that you'd expect to also, you know, you'd expect to see? What would you want someone doing in a meeting with regard to customer centric thinking for example what would yeah, you want someone yeah. doing in terms of a particular action or a particular strategy when it comes to customer centric and you know I, I certainly remember being at Tesco quite early on thinking about a particular project and it was it was a productivity project and I remember getting called out in a meeting and someone saying I don't think that's very customer focused and I was like yeah it's not <laughs> and it kind of blew me away to be honest and if yeah. that culture isn't there to challenge ideas that aren't customer focused, customer centric, yeah. how, how are you going to, how are you going to, to, to build that? So I mean, exactly. that's a really interesting yeah. learning for me. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of, couple of anecdotes I could probably just bring into that very briefly. So a good friend of mine, Mike Logue, who until very recently ran Dreams, um, you know, the world's most profitable bed and bedding retailer. Um, you know, he did a great job of turning that business around over a seven, eight year period. And it's recently been sold for, you know, over half a billion pounds. But long story short, um, he recognised that, you know, having proper insight was really the way to go. And he spent his first six weeks not in the head office, as they called it, or cha he changed the name of it to bedquarters from headquarters to prove to people in the, in the, in the field, in the stores, that there was no disconnect and that they were all in this together and all sort of going in the same direction. But he created um, a thing called Pillow Talk and he captures on, or they capture on a daily basis, I think from about 40% of all their customers uh, conduct or fill out a survey. So they get a lot of very tangible insight about 
what works, what doesn't work, both online and offline. And to the point where they start all of their business meetings now with customer insight. So taking away, you know, the subjectivity from from the conversation. And I think that's, you know, one 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 way that, you know, you can you can certainly achieve that and have it have that sort of level of focus. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, I've been both on, like you, I've been on the client side, I've been a retailer, and then I've also been a consultant, done a few other things. But, you know, when you're doing, when you're doing the kind of work that you're doing, it's obviously hugely important, particularly when you're involved in big change and transformation projects, that you take people on the journey. Because I'd imagine that sometimes some of the stuff that you're working on has come, has been kind of pushed down through the organisation. Um <clears throat> And it might be the case, I could be wrong, but it might be the case sometimes where the people who are going to have to change how they work might not have been consulted, might not have been involved in sort of deciding, you know, what that new way of working looks like. How do you how do you go about making sure when you're working with businesses that people come with you on the journey, the stakeholders, whoever it is, you know, feels engaged and, and sort of gets get sort of buys into what you're trying to deliver? So I, I think there's... There's, there's so many different aspects of this. We could have a whole conversation about it, I'm sure. Um, yeah. I, I think first and foremost, it's it's really important to recognise that there are so many genuinely great perspectives that exist within the sort of the ecosystem of any given change or even the whole organisation, right? And I'm very much of the view that everyone is there to do the right thing, to do the right thing for the business, for future growth, for customers. And I think if you take firstly that mindset that everyone is there trying to aim towards the same goal and recognize that actually what's their point of view on this? It's valid. How are they trying to, to, to move this forward? I think sometimes we, we, we can get into this place where you have um, stakeholder management, right? You're not managing the stakeholders. The stakeholders are there. It's how do you understand their point of view? How do you then bake that into the solution that you, you are, you're putting forward? And then, you know, another big piece is, you know, from a, a, a change perspective is that comms as you roll it out, as you explain and, as you say, take people on the journey. How are you doing that? What are you intentionally going to do to, 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 to build up the knowledge, to help people understand the challenges, the problems, the opportunities and why this is moving you towards that ultimate ideal place and I think the other thing to think about is the, the communication mechanism as well and I would absolutely encourage people to look to marketing and advertising and how do we do that every day of the every day of the week every day of the year to customers and actually how can we do that same strategy to colleagues, mm. think about yeah. engaging people in an omni-channel way. How can you help get the message out about any particular change to a whole host of different people, different cultures, different mindsets, different starting positions? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think for me, in a number of the businesses I've worked for over the years, when I was on the client side, you know, I think it was that internal communication piece that was really missing, you know, and I've. I've been involved in projects where, you know, big consultancies have come in and, you know, you're, you've felt, you know, really quite awkward because you've been asked lots of sort of challenging questions and, you know, you know that there's change going on, but you don't, you've not really been told 
what's happening, why it's happening, what it means for you. I think it's hugely important, you know, from a cultural point of view to make pe people feel engaged and that they're part of the answer, not part of the problem. And, you know, that can certainly be achieved in, in the way that you were outlining. I want to change tact a little bit and, and sort of step away from that sort of retail transformation for a second. And, well, I, I guess, actually, it's a good segue into another potential form of retail transformation around the high street. I'm kind, kind of keen to get your perspective on the high street. Um, has it got a future? What do you think? I think yes, but I'd almost suggest we all look at that question. What do we mean by high street? Because I think what's important to recognise is the high street we have today, the high street we had last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is not going to be the future of the high street, in my, in my honest opinion. We've seen lots of examples of retail changing the way it comes to customers in terms of distribution centres, you know, out of town shopping malls and shopping centres. And actually that is all impacting the high street, you know, depending on how we define that term high street, of course. And I think we're starting to see different pieces coming into that. And I think what I'm quite excited about is more about community opportunities in those sort of regional sort of hubs, shall we call them, of a classic town. And I think that's that's a great opportunity for, for, for retailers and other, shall we call them, direct-to-customer, direct-to-consumer businesses, not just selling stuff, to actually... Restaurants or whatever, whatever happens to be. Yeah, yeah. All, all sorts. I think there's going to be some huge opportunities. And actually, as you start to think about how the, 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 the working life, all the working lives and working patterns, work from home, etc., evolves... I, I do wonder, I think there could be some really interesting things that we, we haven't started to see start to build back into to that high street. So I think, will there be a physical hub for people to come together in residential areas? Yes, I do. Will it be a series of shops, you know, a, a, a mix of chains and independence? Not necessarily as we think of it today. Yeah, I agree with that, and I, and I, and I, and I think it has to right be something different because clearly that model you know doesn't it isn't really fit for purpose, and there's got to be more reasons for consumers to want to visit the high street. I, I was just thinking as we were talking there that maybe we need to rebrand it because the high street to some extent has a sort of tired and slightly negative connotation because of all the media hype in the last sort of five, six, seven years, you know, maybe we just need to start referring it, referring to it as the community centre, you know, or the community yeah. hub or whatever it is. And that would maybe help to drive some of the decision-making and the thinking, you know, behind it to have a better mix of entertainment, leisure, you know, food and beverage, physical products you can buy, etc. So it becomes something much more engaging and much more, as you say, community orientated. You know, maybe that's one way to go. Well, no, thank you. Thank you for take, that. If you take that point of view and you think, actually, let's look around the world at what different cultures either do today or have done in the past, I think there's going to be a huge yeah. inspiration as well. How do we bring people together and, and, and forge a community? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things, just to, just to finish on that, one, one, one thing that is changing, which is quite interesting, is, you know, however many decades ago we used to live, 
you know, in our, in and around our high streets. And then we all started kind of moving out into suburbia. And what seems to be happening now is there's a lot of residential property development going on in our in and around our town centres, which is going to bring population back into these areas, which I think in, in a, in a, to a large extent obviously lends itself really well to creating the type of environment that you and I were, you know, describing there. Just in terms of your own experience of the retail sector, um, you know, and whatever you feel you can share, you know, and you don't necessarily need to talk about clients, you can talk about retail in general, but who are the exemplars? Who are the brands that you think we should be keeping an eye on? Who are the ones that are setting the pace? That's a, that's a super question. I mean, there's, there's so many different companies that I think are, are doing some fantastic things. And I'd, I'd label out particular sort of, I suppose, key uh, capabilities that different retailers have got. I think there are companies like Courage that are doing a fantastic job with uh, Omnichannel. And actually, how do you best build up the, 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 the customer's uh, understanding of the product and the solutions that they, they offer through things like video chat and obviously all the in-store services, easy pickup, straight to car, etc. Curry's are doing a great job at that. Amazon are, are, of course, doing a fantastic job at making it just so easy for customers to buy. I think everyone likes to poo-poo Amazon a bit, if I'm honest. The big, the big uh, nasty, nasty retailer that's bullying everyone. Yeah. Actually, yeah. why are they being so successful? It's because they are really focused on helping customers and, and, and reducing all of the... The, the frictions within the shopping journey. I mean, look at what exactly. they do with Amazon yeah. Go and, you know, really championing that whole checkout free piece. You know, can I just, if you don't mind, if I just make, I want to yeah. mention something very briefly because when you were talking earlier about, you know, uh, businesses that are focusing on that, I gave the example of dreams. I mean, Amazon, you know, they have, you know, people who have responsibility in the business for raising the bar. So in meetings, they're always thinking about, you know, is this really as far as we can take this? Could we, how, how might we make this even better for customers? And treating the business almost as if, you know, you, you'll have heard this, you know, Jeff Bezos talking about, you know, every day's kind of day one. So there's there's that kind of continual service, product, customer development mindset and how do we continually obsess over customers and do a better job of serving them. So they never rest on their laurels. They're always, you know, driving it forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The other the other company I think that's doing some fantastic stuff is Dyson, to be honest, in terms of mm. putting the product there as the solution to, to, a, to a particular customer problem. And I think really championing their product in, I, I'd say a market leading way. Um, so there's lots of great examples of different brands, different retailers out there that are each doing something incredible. And uh, I think it's really important yeah. as you look at, you know, a, a benchmark, an exemplar, you know, don't, don't look for one, look for lots, I would suggest. Absolutely. And I think, I think those are examples as well of brands. I think brands that do this well, you know, and really are customer centric are brands who have rather than tried rather than creating a, a proposition for customers that they're forcing upon them because this is how they operate they've really thought about 
actually what is the experience that customers are really looking for and therefore let, let us structure our organization, our operating model, our processes and everything around that so we can deliver that experience. Um, and one, you know, the, the example you gave there of Dyson, I mean, I know from our own experience here of a Dyson product breaking down, which is probably quite unusual, um, the service side of it was brilliant. You know, there was no kind of, you get with a lot of businesses when you call the contact centre, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do, or I need to go and ask my supervisor, and my supervisor needs to ask their manager, and you wait a week before you get a decision about what they're going to do about your broken product, your broken vacuum cleaner, whatever it is. Um, they just replaced it. Yeah. They just yeah, replaced absolutely. it. You know, there was no there was no questions asked. I mean, and I just think, you know, again, from a customer lifetime value perspective, you know, that... Do you really need the data to prove that that's a better way to deal with that situation rather than looking at the cost of doing that, you know, and saying no to the customer? You know, clearly you're going to lose a customer and they're not going to come back. I think a lot of it actually comes down to common sense, doesn't it, um, in terms of what these businesses have thought through? You were talking earlier about the um, the virtual event that you created, which I had the I had a privilege of participating in and doing a keynote in one of the, the first versions you did during lockdown. I thought that was great. Um, what was the inspiration for that? And also, have you thought about the possibility of turning that into something physical as an event? Yeah, so putting on Retail Transformation Live was quite transformative for me, to be honest. I, I, I started it right at the start of, of, of lockdown here in the UK, uh, took nine days to put together the first one. And it was really there to help build a community, to help bring people together at a time of crisis, I would suggest, and give some direction, mm. give some guidance, give some support and help keep the conversation going. Like I say, really early on March 2020 it was, and got, got just incredible feedback about bringing people together helping make it easy and, and I suppose my thought as I put that on was how can I focus on that community aspect what are the elements that help a real event feel like a community and bringing that into the into the digital sphere was I suppose my goal to help yeah like like I say keep that conversation going and mm -hmm. yeah really really enjoyed it challenging challenging the way cutting the way forward and uh, it's it's been a true honour to host so many people uh, like yourself sharing just incredible golden nuggets to to the to the audience and helping helping shape the future of retail. I, I genuinely think that. And then uh, to, to to part B about moving it into the physical uh, world. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, watch, <laughs> this watch this space. Watch, I was going to say watch this space. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I think you should, you know, because you've done a really good job of building a community and, you know, that you share a lot of insight. Your email newsletter that goes out every week has some really great insight in there. You know, I always pick up one or two things that I might bring into some of the content I'm delivering or whatever, you know. So I think, you know, you've obviously found a great way of engaging with your community and building that community and why not leverage it and why not do something in the physical space. So we look forward to, I'm sure hearing more about that when you're ready to share and when you're ready to go live or something. Um, you've obviously done a great job of building your own personal brand and building OB and Co. And, you know, but it, I get the sense that you're kind of a one-man band. I'm just curious to know, 
Are you, you know, have you thought about scaling what you do? Is there any aspiration to do that? Are you quite happy kind of just sort of, I wouldn't say plodding is not the right word because you're definitely not plodding, but are you quite happy to kind of continue on the path that you are or do you envisage maybe trying to build something more substantive moving forward? So I've spent, uh, I've been self-employed now for seven years or so and I've spent actually quite a bit of time really understanding myself actually to be honest I've mentioned not yeah. realizing some of the reflection elements until fairly fairly recently and I spend a lot of time working out the purpose and actually how do I fit in and help retailers what's what's the sort of speciality and so yeah absolutely at a point where now I've defined that more clearly defined the sort of the the, the, the different frameworks and tools and techniques that I'm putting into place and yes building building a team of, of associates and, and consultants to take on more and bigger challenges. I think there's a huge amount of, of change and transformation that continues to, 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 to impact the whole retail market as well as uh, surrounding markets, hospitality, for example. Mm. And I think uh, absolutely my, my vision is to be there as a partner to help retailers with those those challenges that we spoke about earlier, right, in terms of in terms yeah. of things like clarity and overwhelm and delivery, they're all critical if you are truly wanting to transform and evolve. Sure. Well, that's another another watch the space, I guess, in, in, in that context. So we look forward to seeing how things develop for you over the next few years. Um, I'd just like to finish with, with a, a, what I thought was an interesting sort of conclusion to the conversation, which is if you were going back into retail today, so let's just imagine as an entrepreneur, fellow entrepreneur, and you were starting a new business uh, in retail, what would it be? What would you be selling? And, and what would the model be, out of curiosity? So, uh, this, this, is a, this is a really interesting one. I think I'd have to go with one of my, my personal passions because that's, that's what brings it to life. And you, you can begin to understand the customer viewpoint and you just have fun doing it. So I think that would yeah. either be something around trades and renovation home home improvement i think there's there's a, a great opportunity there in terms of actually how do you sell the solution or you know to the problem rather than Absolutely. selling a, a washer how do you sell not a drippy yeah that's couldn't so agree, couldn't agree more. yeah <laughs> and and in a trustworthy trustworthy way at scale so i think there's something interesting there and then the other piece is the the, the cocktail business which i started from an e-commerce side started obviously many years ago and on reflection i did an awful job at it <laughs> and i think knowing what i know now and the different perspectives on how do you actually build a successful business i think it would be a whole different game so i've always sort of wondered about sort of re-entering that market in some way taking a second bite sure. of the cherry <laughs> yeah well you know there's there's a lot to be said for you know something that didn't work and the lear the lessons learned from that i mean i've i've had a business failure and i've had a business success you know i i had a web design web development business in glasgow that i had to pull the plug on when the dot com was booming and busting and then i had a successful consulting business that we sold so you know and but that would never have been successful had i not had the experiences of you know the first business and and 
because the lessons that you get from that are, you know, really serve you and stand you in good stead for, I think, being successful. So maybe maybe that's something else for you to pursue in the future. Who knows? <laughs> Listen, I really enjoyed it. Really. Ah, well, there's the million dollar. There's the million, million dollar question. I have thought about that often. Um, I mean, fashion is something I would probably gravitate towards, not that it necessarily shows, but uh, I do have a passion for fashion. Um, but it's clearly a very competitive market. And if I were to ever do anything in it, I'd want to do it in a very sustainable way. Um, and obviously paying paying sort of cognizance to the requirements to be a sustainable business and, you know, be more responsible uh, in relation to the planet and the supply chain and product development and everything else would be very much at the, the core and the heart of what I do. I mean, the brand, or did rather, um, I mean, the brand that I always look to when I talk about, you know, exemplars within, you know, brands that are both very customer centric, but do all the right things, you know, in terms of diversity and inclusion and social responsibility and so on is Patagonia. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking to businesses and I say, you know, and I don't think it matters whether you sell washers to your point or whether you sell fashion or whether you sell outdoor products or the outdoors like Patagonia. I think every business should be thinking about how do you turn a customer into a fan? And that's a pretty good starting point. It's a bit like Jeff Bezos saying, I start with the customer and I work backwards. You know, I often say start with customer lifetime value and work backwards. And so I'd be focused on making sure whatever happened, whatever it is I've sold, I did the best job of looking after the planet, looking after my community, looking after my colleagues, my, my, my team, and doing right by them, and obviously looking after my customers and, and creating a, an end-to-end proposition that delivered on two, you know, delivered a truly customer-centric experience. So long answer to a short question. <laughs> Listen, it's been really brilliant. It's been great to have you on and uh, to give, you know, to reciprocate as I said earlier. So thank you so much for sharing your insight. Love what you do. And we'll keep watching this space to see whether it's mocktails, cocktails, DIY, or retail transformation, or a combination of all of the above, <laughs> as well as the events that you were alluding to. But it sounds that you've got an exciting few years ahead of you for sure. So thank you very much, Ollie, for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. Great questions, a great conversation. Really appreciate it, Martin. If you would like to know more about what we're doing at Customer Service Action, the platform where people can share their good and bad customer service stories and experiences in one impartial place, then please visit customerserviceaction.com. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when we go live with future episodes. Thank you so much for joining us today on Customer Centricity with me, Martin Newman.